0: Hello and welcome to Five Alive. It's another beautiful day here in Mahali Chandigarh. And today we are going to go into a discussion about John chapter 13. But first, I just kind of want to define a few things and ask some questions. First of all, uh, consumerism. What do you think of when I say consumerism?
1: A person that consumes a lot of stuff.
0: Okay, sure. Anything else?
2: Isn't consumerism a marketing scheme to get a part of the consumer to buy a lot of their stuff?
0: Very, very much. Absolutely. So the definition is the theory that an increasing of consumption of goods is economically desirable. When I say greed, what do you think about? Consumerism. <laughs> <laughs> when I say greed, what do you think about?
1: A person who wants everything.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Great definition. A person who wants everything. So we have these different holidays that come up around this time of the year, every single year. It doesn't matter if you're Indian. It doesn't matter if you're uh, an American citizen. It doesn't matter if you're African or European. There's holidays that are going on in the months of October, November, December, January. And during those times, we have an increased marketing scheme that is pushed for all of us to do what? Buy. Buy, shop, get more. What do we get more of? Stuff
2: you don't need.
0: (laughs) Well, I mean, what are some specific items that we go out and we get? Like during Christmas, during Diwali, during uh, uh, Valentine's Day, during the new year, during, what do we get? Gifts for other people, gifts for ourselves.
2: We buy stuff that's like, people buy new appliances, and every, things that they need clothing, appliances, gifts, all that. Jewelry, jewelry. new clothes,
3: new house, homewares. Mm-hmm. Yeah, new
2: home,
0: even houses.
2: And then many other
3: yeah. celebrations that come along with that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So all of these things happen. And consumerism in the 20th and 21st century have taken a huge leap with with the onslaught of television, radio, internet. We now are constantly bombarded with what?
3: Advertisements. Advertisement.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And even to the point now where if you're on Instagram, if you're on Facebook, you will now get messages from people when they see your picture. And they will say, DM me if you want to What? my product if you want to make money off more money you can sponsor my product right yeah and then I even noticed the other day on Instagram I was scrolling through a couple of pictures and it was like every fourth picture was somebody that was advertising something so I would see three pictures One of my friend, two of my friend, three of my friend, the next one was an advertisement. One of my friend, two of my friend, three of my friend, the fourth one was an advertisement. And it kept on going like that. So why is it that we're bombarded with all of these materialistic goods?
2: It goes back to consumerism. And they're trying to, the person is trying to get the consumer to look at what they have. And then they want them to want that. Therefore, they'll buy it or look at your Instagram page because of you're offering this to them.
0: So it's a twofold purpose, right? I get popularity and they get more sales. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Do brand names matter? Does it matter what the brand name is on the product that you have?
2: Mm, No, but brand names have come to a point where they have value. Like it comes with, if you have the name on it, then it's automatically expensive just because it's made by this person or this company. Anybody can make the same quality outfits and clothes or appliances and a lot of other stuff, but just because it has this name behind it, therefore it becomes more money, it has more value because it's sponsored by this person or this company that has built up a reputation for themselves to have a brand name. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Absolutely has this led to a monopolization of any specific products? I mean, I think it has, Mm -hmm. because when I think of goggles or sunglasses, there's only about two or three brands that really come to my mind. Are there other brands out there? Can I go to Walmart or Freshmart or someplace like that and get an off-brand? Yes, but when I think of getting sunglasses, I think of Oakley. I think of a specific brand name Uh, As a result, have you noticed that that has caused monopolization of things? I'll use another example, Supreme. Supreme releases their product. It's pretty average in its price, but it gets bought up really fast. And then people resell it at 10 times the amount of what it originally was valued at. And so therefore, it has drove the price of anything that says just one simple word, Supreme on it. To a point where people will pay astronomical prices for a piece of clothing, a hammer, a ruler, something like that. I've also noticed within the past several decades, uh, experiences seem to really matter to people. It's all about the IG. It's all about the Facebook presence. It's all about my Snapchat or my Twitter to the point where I will—I have noticed people before, even a couple of years ago, we went ice skating at an ice skating rink. There were people behind us talking about ice skating. When was the first time you went? When was the last time you went? Oh, I can't wait till we ice skate. We all went through the queue in order to get out on the rink. We got our Um, ice skating uh, boots on uh, shoes on and we went out on the rink and we watched all these people go to one side of the ice skating rink they took a picture for instagram and then they all left they said okay we took our picture now let's go because it was all about the experience of being in a location but not really about the experience of doing something what does this teach us within a consumeristic or a greed like lifestyle that we're seeing here in the 21st century
3: self-gratification pleasing our own selves of what we want, what we desire.
0: Mm, Sure. I, I, I definitely see it as that. Yeah. I think it blurs the lines between a theory called consumerism, mixing it with greed and then calling what a consumeristic theory is along with my greed and making it an essential. All of a sudden we've discovered thanks to the pandemic that essentials aren't what we used to really think essentials are. So what is an essential?
2: An essential is something that you can't live without, something you need in order for your body to survive. So the, the
3: basics, basic, food, shelter, food, shelter and, water. and water.
2: That's all you need. That's all you need.
0: So those things push us towards consumer, t- towards consuming things, which allows the theory of consumerism to push us towards greed and selfishness, basically, right? Yes. Jesus says in the passage of Scripture we're about to read in verse 8, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. It'll be found again in verse 8. Jesus is not a consumer product to help us today and be tossed away tomorrow. I want us to keep this in mind as we read John chapter 13, verses 1 through 16.
2: when he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and wiped them with the towel that was wrapped around him, he came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have not share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, The one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him, and that's why he said, Not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example, that you should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, the servant is no greater than his master, nor a messenger greater than the one who sent him.
0: This is the reading of the word of the Lord. Feet. Wow. Feet are an interesting part of the body, aren't they? Uh, They're the part of the body that can get the most filthy. I didn't really understand this until I moved to India. Over 10 years ago, when we first came to India, I used to wear um, thongs or flip-flops or sandals or chapels, whatever you call them. I would wear them all the time. I remember-
3: I call them juttas.
0: You call them I I wore them in America all the time. I mean, it could be Winter time and I would walk outside with a pair of pants on and I would have, I would have my thongs on and I would, I would, um, you know, have a coat on and everything else. But I, I just liked the openness on my feet and it didn't really matter when I moved to India. The dust that you walk around on, the different dirts, the excrement that's out on the road, the dirty water, the discarded waste, the discarded food, you walk through all of that throughout the day and you may have taken a shower and you may not even sweat that day, but because you're wearing sandals, choples, as soon as you get into the house, your feet are filthy. They're just absolutely disgusting. And so you may not need to rewash your whole body, but your feet need to be washed. Washing our hands, our dishes, making sure our food is clean, these are all important. But our hands don't get as dirty as our feet do in these kinds of conditions. Our mouth doesn't have that kind of dirt enter into it. As bad as the pollution is outside here in India, we don't suck in that. You know which is going our feet are going to touch throughout the day, and our dishes are never going to touch what our feet walk on um and yet we make sure to wash our hands, make sure that we brush our teeth, maybe even use mouth rinse, and we make sure we wash our dishes so that that way they're completely clean. Don't we also think that it's very important for us to wash our feet? Have you ever entered into a holy place, a guru a Sikh holy temple? Uh, or a Hindu temple or a Jewish temple, especially here in Asia, even the churches, what are one of the preparations we have to do in order to enter a holy place? take off your shoes and wash your feet before you enter. Absolutely. You take off your shoes and wash your feet uh, before you enter. And this is no different. This situation that we're talking about where Jesus is washing the disciples' feet is a holy dinner. It is the Passover meal. And so this is a situation where they are worshiping God with the eating of the Passover meal. And yet nobody had come to wash the disciples' feet. And so Jesus stands up Uh, from the table and this isn't the kind of table that we're sitting on nowadays and the western sense of the word where we sit in chairs and we have the table in front of us but what they're sitting at when they say they're sitting or reclining at the table is they're all sitting on the ground Their feet are very near to their bodies. Maybe they're even sitting with their legs crossed Um, so their feet are close to the food and the table is right in front of them and so when somebody would come and eat food, eat dinner, eat supper, the servant would wash the feet of the guests before they would eat so that that way everything was cleansed in order to eat the meal. Does this all make sense? Mm-hmm. Now, there's a few things that I want us to notice through this passage of Scripture. First of all, Jesus takes the role of the slave, right? yeah he takes the role we can't say slave nowadays because it's 21st century but he takes the role of the slave the role of the servant if you will and he washes the disciples feet even though he is their rabbi he is their teacher he is their guru he is their master he does what was and is even this day a lowly job he he says my position my authority isn't what matters in this moment instead i'm going to take the position of the slave the creator of the heaven and the universe and the earth strips off his clothes and puts on the dress of the slave he becomes lowly no one makes him no one forces him to but by his own choice he gives up his rights and he gives up his authority willingly he then gets on the floor when we clean our house in India, we basically clean the floor twice, right? You, you take the broom and you clean up all of the loose stuff, the dirt, the whatever trash is on the ground, etc. You go on and clean other things and then you finish by mopping the floor at the conclusion of it. Does that mean that the floor is completely clean? No. no. Is the floor still pretty dirty?
3: Absolutely. Yeah.
0: How long does it take the floor to get dirty here in India? One minute. <laughs> One minute i'm trying to draw this as an example of the king of kings and the lord of lords has taken off his clothes he's put on the clothes of a slave and he's now gotten on the floor which is basically the dirtiest part of the house he as well
1: all of his clothes he just removed his outer garments
0: he removed his outer garments and put on the clothes of a slave or a servant put a towel around his waist which is the role of the servant the role of the slave and as a result The king of heaven then gets on the floor, the dirtiest part of the house, and he starts washing his students' feet. What is the correlation here to what Jesus did at his birth? He wasn't able to stay in a guest house. He wasn't able to be in a room in the inn because there was no room for him. He took on the role of a servant or of a slave, even in his birth. And as a result of taking on that, that is the way his earthly ministry continued to look, isn't it? Who forced him to come from heaven to earth?
3: It wasn't
2: forced, it, wasn't it was forced.
3: appointed.
0: But wasn't it his choice as well?
2: Yes. He chose to die on the cross. He could. Jesus had the power to override and continue living for however long he wanted to and do all these miracles and just become some great teacher in the future. But he chose to die on the cross because that was asked of him. And he knew that was the only way that we could gain salvation is through sacrifice, his sacrifice.
0: The only way we could be cleansed or washed. Mm -hmm.
2: And he cared for us. We read John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. But it wasn't only God because, I mean, Jesus is God. But Jesus also cared so much for us that he gave up his own life.
0: No one took it from him. No. He willingly gave it up. Yeah. Just as in this position, when he went and took off his outer garments, put on the towel and assumed the role of a servant or of a slave and washed the disciples feet. It is an example to us of exactly what he did at Christmas. It is an example to us of exactly what he did throughout of his life as a man of earthly ministry, but also 100% God. Nobody forced him, nobody made him. And as a result, does he force anybody to become his disciple or become his student? No. Philippians chapter two, verses four through eight.
1: Not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of the others. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness, and being found in an appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross.
0: Wonderful. Now to that thought that we started reading the passage of Scripture, verse 8, if I, Jesus, do not wash or cleanse you, you have no share with me. How do I see Jesus in light of that when he takes on the role of a servant and washes his disciples' feet, washes his students' feet, and he says, if I can't wash your feet, then you have no part with me? How do I see Jesus in that moment?
3: Jesus is the authority.
2: Jesus has the authority. Even in his what looks like a moment of weakness or being under somebody, he is actually in power. He's still in control. Even though he looks like he's weaker than everybody there in that room at that point in time, any onlooker would think that Jesus was, I mean, would be crazy because he puts himself to the point of being the lowest person in the room, yet he still has authority and command of everybody in that
0: room. Yeah, absolutely. And so here's a few reflective questions for us. Uh, Have I allowed Jesus to cleanse me? have I allowed him to wash me? Have I allowed him to wash my feet? And as a result, am I then a part of him? These are two questions for us to reflect on, for us to ask ourselves, have I allowed him to wash me? And am I a part of him? And then just a question uh, for all of us to kind of throw out there, uh, what proof is there that I'm with Christ? What proof is there today that I am a Christian? What proof is there today that I am a disciple of Jesus? Uh, what proof is out there? Is it the way I dress? Is it the way I talk? Is it the way I treat people? Is it what? What is the proof? Because that's what a lot of people are always looking for. They're looking for some kind of proof. Well, prove it to me. If God was really real, He would prove it to me. Well, He sent Jesus. No, 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 I want something more. Well, Jesus did miracles. No, 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 I want something more. Well, he was an authoritative teacher. No, I want something more. At what point is there proof that I am with Christ? Is it something that other people can see or is it an individual recognition? Like I know I am a follower of Jesus because I believe in Jesus.
3: Individual recognition that others will see as well a difference in you than with other people. And it takes, it takes time.
0: Hmm. So Jesus is playing the role of the servant here at the table at the Passover dinner. Does he continue to work as a servant for me today? Does he continue to be my servant today? Do I continue to treat him as if he's my servant?
3: I I hope not. We should not be so big headed or hot headed. So to say, thinking that, because Jesus was so lowly, washing others' feet, that in that moment of the passage of scripture of, well, you're not gonna wash my feet, is what Peter said. Mm -hmm. And he said, if if I don't, then you're not of me. So may we never get to the point of forgetting that Christ has always foregone and has foreseen our, our future, our next steps, our, our walk of life, and he knows us better than anyone. Anyone knows us. Yeah. Because I sure don't know all the hairs on my head. <laughs>
0: but he does. But he
3: does. <laughs> I, I know the one who does.
0: Yeah, absolutely. The question I asked was, does he keep working as a servant for me? And I, I just made two notes here. If If my answer is no, or I hope not, which is what we said, does, does my prayer life reflect that attitude or do I make a list of needs, requests, and demands every time I pray? Like, is my prayer life, a prayer life of treating God as if he's my servant? Well, God, you know, my needs, you know, I need this. Oh God, I need to be healed here. Oh God, my, my family member needs to be healed Is that the only time I actually have a conversation with God? Because really, if that is the only time that I'm talking with him, if that's really the only time that I'm praying, then I am treating him as if he's still my servant. Mm -hmm. Or maybe I am so haughty that I say, yes, Jesus should be my servant. He created me and he deserves to still serve me. Maybe I am that kind of an arrogant person. Perhaps my understanding of who Jesus is is just flat out misunderstood. And I didn't really understand what he came from heaven to earth to do, because there are people that are that arrogant out there that really think that the only reason somebody is to worship God is so that way God can do whatever that person wants or needs. Jesus washed Judas's feet, yet Judas wasn't cleansed because washing, Jesus washing, Jesus cleansing is not just an outward action. It's an inward cleansing that also happens. Do I need to prove that I'm a disciple of Jesus to other people? No. No. Is this evident by my action and my obedience to him? I think it is. James chapter 2, verses 14 through 20.
3: What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless?
0: This leads up to the second part of what I noticed. Not only is Jesus a servant washing people's feet, but he then says for the disciples to wash others' feet. He says, you have seen what I have done. Now I want you to go and wash other people's feet as well. Does this mean that he wants us to physically go out and just start washing people's feet? You know, like set up a business where it's just foot washing service, <laughs> like car washing service, foot washing wow, there service, is. It's
3: pedicures, <laughs>
0: pedicures, and manicures. there you go, mani pedis. Um, but what is the criteria for washing other people's feet? What, what is it that Jesus sets as the criteria for washing other people's feet? Yeah. No. If they have somewhat clean feet, if their feet are the same color as mine, if they have the same type of footwear as me the same markings and scarrings and swelling as me, is it okay to wash their feet then? Uh, What if their feet are really gross and dirty? Am I still supposed to clean those people's feet? What if the person is healthy and their feet actually look better than mine? Are those still people that I'm supposed to wash their feet? What if they have sick feet? What if uh, they're people's feet and the person doesn't agree with me? In fact, they're almost seen as my enemy Do I still bow down, get on the ground and wash their feet? I think so. There is no criteria. Let's look at how Jesus washed feet at this table of the Passover meal. There is an egomaniac at the table, Peter. Well, Jesus, don't just wash my feet, wash my whole body as well. There is a tax collector there who is also seen as a traitor to the people of the Jewish heritage because he's taking taxes from his own people and giving them to the Roman government. He's a traitor, and yet Jesus washes his feet. There's a military guy, James the Zealot. Jesus washes his feet. There's a person that was greedy and was going to turn on Jesus, even betraying him for only 30 pieces of silver unto his death, and yet Jesus washes his feet. So who can I rightly or rightfully exclude from washing their feet and accepting them into God's kingdom. Who is so damnable that I don't wash their feet?
2: No one. Because even Jesus said, not all of you are clean, but he did wash every single one of their feet. Meaning you can't leave anybody out. And it doesn't say that it was only the 12 that were there. Thank you. So there were multiple people there that he washed all of their feet
0: absolutely he did
2: There is no one person excused but what does that
0: meeting right but what does consumerism teach us doesn't consumerism teach us to eliminate people to eliminate certain clients because of their uh, economic classes uh possible fringe or or just no that person's not of the same culture as what i'm selling so therefore they shouldn't buy my product and i'm not going to do anything to market to that person Isn't that what consumerism does? And as a result of that being the marketing campaign, isn't that the way the consumer, us, those who are buying those products, start treating people? Well, I can't be friends with that person because they don't wear Louis Vuitton. I can't be with that person because they don't wear polo. I can't be with that person because they don't wear Tommy Hilfiger. I can't be with that person because they don't know what an Apple product is and they don't own an Apple product like an iPhone. No, they're Android people and they're not Apple people, so I can't be around those people. No, that person's Democratic. They're not Republican. That person's Republican, not Democratic. That person's BJP. That person's Congress. That person's – we start with our consumerisms, drawing lines and drawing uh, uh, ourselves away from – Inviting everybody in the kingdom of God because that person's not exactly like me So therefore there's no way I would get down and wash their feet and yet. Jesus says go and wash others feet Romans chapter 10 verses 10 through 13
1: for the heart man believeth unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation For the Scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. For there is no difference between the Jews and the Greeks. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that can call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved.
0: Jesus doesn't treat us like a consumer property, and we don't treat him as a consumer property. With Jesus, all who believe in him will become children of God. And lastly, from what I see in this passage of scripture, I see that Jesus sets up his life as an example, not just in this moment of washing others' feet, not just in this moment of washing his disciples' feet, not just in this moment of going throughout a room and washing the feet of the people that were present, but he sets these moments up on a regular basis uh, as an example unto us of how we can live on this earth. And there are moments when, uh, as an example of what he shows us, that we must give up our rights, our rights, our Well, I don't deserve that. That's not the way I've been treated before. I can't believe that people would treat me this way. No, Jesus gives up those rights. There are moments when we must think of others above ourselves. There are moments when we must care for the sick, care for the hungry, care for the naked, the imprisoned, the mentally pained, the disabled, the orphans, the widows, and on and on and on, instead of thinking only about ourselves. So I'm going to ask the negative question first, and then the the more positive question, and you can answer if you want to. This is also rhetorical. Uh, What must I stop doing in order to be more like Jesus? If he's my example, what do I need to stop doing in order to be more like him? And then the flip side of that is what must I start doing in order to be more like Jesus? Because in our lives, we have different priorities of the way we do things. And sometimes we've started habits that are bad habits. In order to stop a bad habit, I have to replace it with something else. Otherwise, I'm going to keep doing the bad habit over and over and over again. Whenever things get to a low point in my life, if I haven't replaced that bad habit with something that's a good habit, then I'm going to fall back into doing the bad habit. So what idea has Jesus given me so that that way I can help others like Jesus did? I need to ask myself, am I only looking at life for fame, popularity, money, and power? Am I willing to put my rights to the side and start washing other people's feet? Because when it all comes down to it, the key to obeying Jesus is servanthood. Do I struggle with this truth of servanthood? And if I do, what is the hang up or what is it that I, I I don't wanna give up in my life in order to be a servant as Jesus was. What is being humble or meek look like? I think humility is the freedom from pride and arrogance, and only a person with total authority and power can lay that power and authority down and therefore be an ultimate example of the humble and or meek. Jesus has all authority on heaven in heaven, on earth and above the earth and throughout this universe. And as a result, he laid down his authority and was humble. What is it that I have to lay down? What ego in me do I need to lay down in order to be made meek and humble? Jesus washed his disciples' feet before a special holiday dinner. He called his disciples to follow his example and wash others' feet. As a result of this humble position, others will be brought into God's kingdom. What else do we discover in this passage today?
2: The only other thing I got out of it is the last verse, verse 16. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Meaning, in this world of consumerism, you're nobody's greater than you because they wear this name brand nobody's greater than you because they own this or that and you're not less than them because you don't own any of that stuff we're all human beings and all human beings are equal i mean even it's in the constitution of the united states we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal we all are equal no man is higher than the other even though we put these people in points of authority, those people at a certain time need to be held accountable. Yeah. And we don't always do that because we're afraid because they have this man appointed authority. Well God gives everybody the authority, but man have put him in that position. God allowed him to be put in that position, but still he always everybody needs to be held accountable for certain things that they do. And sometimes we're afraid to speak up because we think we're lesser than them because they have this much education and they did all this and they have this much money. So who am I to talk? Well, the servant isn't greater than the master, isn't greater than the servant. And the person who tells the messenger isn't any greater than the person who sent the message.
3: Yeah.
2: We're all equal. And so, in that, I mean, it gives me confidence, definitely, to the point where if I know, like you said, Paul uh, knew that Peter was in the wrong. Mm -hmm. And even though Peter was seen as having a higher authority than Paul, because, you know, Peter was one of the original 12. Right. Where did Paul come from? Paul was the guy who was sacrificing all the Jews, all the Christians, because he believed they were in the wrong. But Paul overlooked that and he came to the point where in Christ or in general we're all equal and so he was helping Paul Peter stay accountable mm. so that way Peter would change what he was doing wrong and then move forward from that mm. cuz you already asked that rhetorical rhetorical question what am i doing what am i not doing or what am i doing that is not allowing me to be closer to god yeah
0: you were talking about Paul's background yeah, and the fact that he forgave himself basically in order to understand the power of the authority he had in this moment when he stood up to Peter. And I think that's a very important thing for us to recognize in this passage of Scripture as well is, yes, in servanthood, there are moments we've got to be servants. And then there's an authority. There's moments where we have to be a th- authoritative. And we have to recognize Jesus is the author of life. He is the one who has called me to be a child of God. He is the one that has given me this power and this privilege. And instead of in that moment, looking back over my life and having all of these moments where I'm like, oh, but I did this and I did that. And I regret this. And I made this mistake as Paul could have done. instead he allowed the forgiveness of what Christ blessed him with his grace and his mercy to wash over him, to forgive him of his sins. And Paul himself forgave himself so that he could operate in authority. Mm -hmm. And I think that's an important thing for us too, because in servanthood, we can so often just identify with that lowliness of, well, I made all these mistakes and Jesus was a servant. And so therefore I'm a servant. And so therefore I have to constantly keep myself in this lowly position where I am view myself and others view me as worthless, basically. And instead, I've got to recognize those very important moments that I am also given the authority of Christ to be his ambassador unto this world. I think those are very important things for us to recognize.
2: And in the understanding of you forgiving yourself and correction that comes with it, and if you look up to a person or look down on a person or look up to a person and they do something wrong, then that doesn't automatically make you better than them
0: It doesn't disqualify them doesn't either disqualify all the time them right
2: either Someone you don't like and then they do some if you there's someone you don't like and then they do something that you is considered wrong, that doesn't automatically give you authority and an edge on them because I'm better than them because they did this. We can't be so arrogant because Christ already said. That no one is greater than the other. And we also have to go from that side of point of view as well as not only do we have the authority to speak into other people's lives, even if we see ourselves as lowly, but even if we can't also be so arrogant to think that we're better than everybody else. Correct. To the point where if anybody says they're a Christian, oh, well, I have more experience than you do. So... No, you don't have to be a Christian. I have more experience than you do. Just follow me because, you know, I'm like Jesus yeah. because, you know, I'm so perfect because I, I, I have this much experience of being a Christian.
0: Well, it, what you were saying there reminded me so much of another passage of Scripture. It comes from the Old Testament. Saul is the king and David is not. And Saul makes not just one mistake, but multitudes of mistakes to the point where God takes his blessing off of Saul and has put the anointing on David. And David is anointed as the next king of Israel. But in that moment when he becomes anointed the next king of Israel, does David take the throne? No. It's still many years before David will take the throne. Yeah. But does David look at those mistakes that he watches Saul do? Does he look at those as disqualifiers? And does David then look at his anointing as a way to raise himself up above Saul and have everybody else look down on Saul and to throw a coup on the kingdom and take over the kingdom of Israel?
2: No. And multiple times he had the opportunity to kill Saul. Yes. And all of his men wanted to form a coup, but David didn't want that to happen.
0: Exactly, because
2: and, Saul was the original anointed one, so he—it's not his place to take him out of uh commission.
0: Sure, exactly, and the same holds true today. If I look up to somebody who's in an authority and they make a mistake, and it's a mistake that I never made, does that all of a sudden disqualify them and elevate my position of authority over them? No. I have to still look at the balance of what God has given us, gifted us with in the regards of what Scripture says, and that is in that moment, no, there will be a time and place for the authority of God to be representative out of my life, but to look down on others, even those that have been put in a position of authority over me is not my place. very good points. In closing, I just want to ask you, Lord, to transform my heart and my mind to be that of the mind of Christ, to see others as Jesus sees them, to love as Jesus loves, and to rid myself of greed and to have victory over the theory of consumerism. Mallory, will you close us in prayer?
1: Thank you, Jesus, for this day and for every single day, and that everybody will have a great day today. And everybody will stay safe. And Daddy's leg will get healed. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.
3: Amen.